Hey, I want to I want to share something that has served me well um, over the course of my life. I I've had to just own the fact that I am I'm your parents' age or older now. I just have to accept that fact. I mean, my son Sam here, he's you know a leader, and so I don't even have kids that are in youth group age anymore. So that puts me into this funky category of like, what's it like being that old? Um, but I. Um, I have committed to something when I was really many of your age, really in my end of my junior year in high school, senior year in high school, I began to embrace something that um, has really served me well to this point in my life. And and I, I think it's a truth. I think it's a principle. I think it's an insight. I think it's something that helps us. And it centers around two things. Over the years, as I've been a pastor and talked with people over the years, there's one question, and there's studies about this too. Um, if somebody doesn't have questions about God, I mean, if they've already settled that fact that God is God, um, the number one question people have in their life is, how do I know God's will for my life? It's the number one question people ask over and over again. How, because if I just knew his will, I'd do it, but how can I really know what is his will? Um, you can take it to extremes. It's not like you go to Baskin Robin and pray, God, should I have vanilla? Should I have chocolate? Um, you know, that's not at the same level of should I go to that college or should I go to that college? Should I marry that person or not marry that person? Should I take that job, not take that job? I mean, there's big kind of di- these kind of decisions that shape the direction of our life. And then others that maybe in the moment don't seem like that big of a deal, but one of the ways that I think God builds our lives and grows us up is by entrusting us with the options of choice. Like, what do we get to choose? And, and the other question, um, or the other reason I want to talk about what I want to talk about this morning is not only pertaining to God's will, but they say that the number one reason for anxiety and um, even depression in people's lives, especially young adults, like yourself, is an uncertainty about the future. Like, I just don't know what the future holds. And stress about the unknowns of the future. Just kind of this, like, will there be a future, you know? Um, So all the issues of environmental issues and economic issues and governmental issues, and it just seems like every time you turn around, someone's shaking the snow globe, and our whole world just feels like everything's swirling and nothing's ever settling. And so it creates this anxiousness, because even if you try to plan something, does it mean that it's going to be that way tomorrow? And so is there any consistency in it? And so one of the things that God invites us to is to learn... um, to trust him to get us from A to B to C to D to E to F to G. So we don't know tomorrow, but he does. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years, but he does. I, I don't really know who I'm going to marry one day. Well, I do. <laughs> I did. Uh, I have and am and I am. Uh, you know, I was being just kind of putting myself out there in the third person. Let's just say, you know, I may not know where I'm going to go to college, who I'm going to marry. But God does. And so how do I get to those points of intersection with his will, and how do I make those decisions? And, and, and so there's this tension, you know, does God make every decision for me, or does God give me decisions to make? And do those decisions define me? Um, are they irreversible decisions? What if I make the wrong decision? You know, what if, I, what if I got one shot and I blow it? What if there's only one person in the whole world I'm supposed to marry, and they marry somebody else? 
mean, does it throw everything off? Are we all hosed now? I mean, is it just like... So there's this kind of lingering question. And so I, I do think there's it's a both-in. God is divinely revealing at these critical moments certain things he wants us to know as well more than we want to know it. And then he's giving us decisions that we get to make. Um, I mean, if you say, you know... Mom, Dad, will you help me with my juice box? And they're like, no, you're 15. You open your own juice box. You know, it's kind of like, why? Because if I'm doing that for you, I've had three kids go to college, and I've sat through three parent orientations. All three parent orientations did this. Somebody stood up and said to the parents, quit making your kids' decisions for them. And then they tell these crazy stories. And the crazy stories are like the mom who every single day calls her daughter to wake her up, already tells her what the weather's going to be like that day, what to wear, maps out for her her classes, where she has to go. Um, and so they tell these horror stories like that, that child is not growing up. That child is not. So I have to sit through parent orientations where they're telling parents, quit doing that for your kids. Like they're not maturing if that's the case. But then there's other decisions, obviously, that shape our lives and that we welcome counsel and input and invite. So I want to give you a simple thing that I have learned that I honestly believe has moved me along in the journey of my life because I didn't know necessarily what God's plans ultimately were for my life other than this broader, more general sense that God was calling me into ministry. And and so this is not just for those who feel called into ministry. This is for all of our lives um, in regardless to whatever direction. I'm going to look at one primary scripture, but I'm going to set up a couple uh, with a couple of others. Proverbs 16.3 says this, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. That, that if I put God first, if I commit to God um, every area of my life, then God is somehow sovereignly, even supernaturally, working to guide my steps. So, so there's something I do and there's something God does in this because where we want to be is we want to be in the center of his will. We just want to be right in the pocket of what, what he's asked us to do and to be at each stage and juncture of our life. And so the primary foundation of that is committing my ways to the Lord. Putting, putting God first. In Ephesians 1, 11, it says, God, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That God has a will. God has a plan. Um, he knows how the whole thing's going to work out. So how do we know this? So I want to show you something that uh, helped me that I learned a long time ago. I want to show you the first, this first graph. I'm going to show you a series of these throughout the, the next 15, 20 minutes here. This is kind of how we view the will of God. It's kind of like there's this one center, the green dot there. Let's, let's call that the sweet spot of just being in God's plan and God's will. Um, every day I wake up, i got to hit that. I'm aiming at that. That's the place of blessing. That's the place of rightness. It's just right where I'm supposed to be. Outside of that, maybe in concentric rings is the sense of kind of, well, God's disappointed in me because I didn't hit that, or God must be mad at me because I missed that. Um, if we think of God's will in these ways, it breeds doubt in us. It, it causes us to be um, constantly second-guessing everything and questioning everything. Is God mad at me? Is God disappointed in me? And, and if I missed it, I didn't hit the sweet spot, am I now um, in the loser bracket? You know, am I in the 
um, consolation bracket? Am I just going to be kind of off track the rest of my life? I want to show you the next graph here. Um, we tend to think of this kind of more like this. We tend to think of God's will as this big linear thing. It's like, well, I got to make a decision. And that decision ultimately is going to lead me to future decisions, which is going to lead me to future decisions. And every time I make a decision, it takes me somewhere. So every time I choose, it, it gives me other options. And, and sometimes those options are desirable or non-desirable. There are consequences to our decisions. To a large degree, we are the sum total of our decisions. If you, do, if you eat Pop-Tarts all day long, every day of your adolescence, that could be a choice. I don't know if it's the best choice, but that choice is going to take you somewhere, probably to uh, the hospital, but, uh, or a future, and never mind. The, 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 the idea is that you're kind of taking, this is, now what, so every time we come to these paths, like, should I go that way, should I go that way, and we tend to think of things in this kind of line, that everything leads to more decisions, and, and so we constantly think we're looking for the right one. Okay, what's the right one that's going to take me to God's blessing? What's, what's going to keep me in the center of God's will? If you look to the next one. We, we tend to think, okay, I started here, and I went there, and I went there, and this is where, now at this moment in time, this is where I've ended up. This is, this is the spot where I've, I've landed. And so we think it's our job to get up. I've got to just make these right choices. I've got to make these right decisions, and, and then I'll get to the right destiny. And it's all about me nailing every decision. It's all about me making all the right choices. But let me show you this next one. What happens... If you go all the way there and you land there, and in the end you think you should have been there and you missed it by that much, then what? Then are you just, you know, like I said, is, are you hosed for the rest of your life? Is, is, is this just you got God's plan B the rest of your life? You made the wrong decision and it's like I should have been there. Man, now I'm here and I blew it and I was so close. One more, show the next graph here. I want you to get rid of this picture in your mind. I want you to get rid of this. I don't want you to think of your life like this. Um, that there's only kind of one clear path that God has set up in heaven. And he says, Cassandra, this is, this is my plan for you. And it's going to go just like this. And if Cassandra makes a wrong decision right there, she went to that college, but I wanted her to go to that college because at that college she was going to get that teacher who was going to give her that connection. And in that connection was going to be an internship and she was going to meet a guy. And then that guy, you know. <laughs> but Cassandra went to this college. And the teacher was a meth addict. And the teacher didn't know what they were talking about. And the teacher got arrested. And they closed the school. And, and Cassandra never met that guy. <laughs> Cassandra met another guy. And that guy was plan F. Uh, I, I mean, see, see, when you think like that, poor Cassandra. <laughs> She's going to be working at Taco Bell the rest of her life. Because uh, that's what you, that's, that's the conclusion. Wait a second, I blew it. Wait a second, I, I missed the mark here. And that's a wrong picture because we're focused on the wrong thing. It's a matter of your focus. Most of the time we think, I got to get there. And so how can my choices and decisions, and we start kind of even at times stressing those and fretting those and manipulating those and I got to manage those and I got to make those things happen and it becomes the stressful way to life because I'm trying to get to that spot 
And so I want to give you a couple thoughts. I'm going to come back the last two graphs in just a minute. We'll close with. We'll give you more the visual, I think, what we're after here. But let me tell you two things about your future. First of all, the Bible tells you not to worry about your future. Do you know that? Easier said than done because you're in 10 SAT prep classes. Um, everybody's asking you what you're going to do when you go to college. Um, you know, you're just, you kind of got this societal, potentially family pressure on you. And it's like, you know, I just kind of want to go into the Navy. And everybody's like, what? You know, I, I don't know, maybe I'd just like to, I don't know, maybe I'd like to work at a taco stand and surf for a year. You know, people act shocked because there's this pressure to do and go a certain way. But I, wanna, I want you to step back for a moment. I'm not saying don't dream big and don't have big visions and plans for your life. That's not what I'm saying. Just, hey, just go with the flow. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Bible does tell us explicitly from the very mouth of Jesus, don't worry about your future. And here's why. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells kind of a group of people on a hillside about what it's like to trust God with their money and their possessions. And he's kind of looking at them and He probably sees concern in their eyes, so he tells them these words in in the Sermon on the Mount. And by the way, this is is an age-old problem. Worrying isn't just something we created in our culture. It's been going on from the time Jesus was around. Jesus said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Would you say that with me, the first sentence? Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Then he goes on to say what you're going to eat or drink and don't worry about what you're going to wear. I I want you to know that's a very freeing thing if you can come to that place. I don't care. That's a very freeing thing. Now, people around me care. Like, Keith mocks me because of my shoe game, so I'm trying to up my shoe game, but I I don't don't care. Uh, But people are better than me. But if you jump to the very end in in, in verse 34 at the end of this section in chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One of the things that Jesus invites us into is not a certainty about the specifics of our life. He invites us into a relationship. And the number one question you need to be asking yourself is, is this true? Is God who he says he is? And what Jesus is saying is what I want you to lean into and prove is that God is a father. God cares about your tomorrow. You don't have to worry about your tomorrow because your father already concerns himself with your tomorrow. How freeing is that? How many of you were in in second grade, you woke up in the morning and went, I wonder if I'm going to have pants to put on? How many of you, you just went to the dresser and pulled them out? Why? Because you knew that they just magically appeared, didn't they? When you were a first grader, you didn't worry about buying pants. Your mom and dad made sure you had pants. Somebody made sure you had pants. I hope you were wearing pants. Uh, What Jesus is saying, he's not saying it in a vacuum like quit worrying. He's saying pagans who don't have any relationship with God or believe in God, they have to live their lives as if they have no father. They're like orphans in the world. And what Jesus is saying to you and me is you're not orphans. You, you, you don't have to live like you have no father. So you don't have to worry because the things that would trouble your heart about your basic needs in life even, your father concerns himself with those things. So he says, don't worry about the future. Then the second thing the scripture tells us is, is to not presume upon the future either, to not be presumptuous about the future. 
In James chapter 3, it says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will go to this city, spend a year there, carry on busy business, make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, then it vanishes. And then instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this and that. Proverbs 27 says, Do not boast about tomorrow. For you do not know what a day may bring. And basically, what Jesus is, I mean, the scripture isn't saying just live carelessly because you have no certainty about tomorrow. He's saying, don't miss today. That you can be robbed of today by trying to live in tomorrow, and you, you can't. It's, you don't even know if tomorrow is going to be a certainty. So, when you talk about the future, the scripture says, you don't have to worry about it because you have a father. You, you'll, you'll rob yourself of the present if you're only trying to live in tomorrow and missing today. And so in that, though, there's all these nuances about God's will for us. And these are wrapped up in those two things, the, the ideas like this, that before you were born, God had a plan for your life. But before, you were, before the worlds were formed, God knew you. Do you believe that? How many of you know what Build-A-Bears are? You know what Build-A-Bears are? You, you kind of, it's genius. You walk into a Build-A-Bear store, they hook a hose up to your wallet and just start sucking money out of you. That's, that's my perspective of Build-A-Bear. But you, the kids build their bears based on who they want and the purpose for them to be, and they love what they make. And what you have is a God in heaven, not just a Build-A-Bear <laughs> maker, but he's looking at your life and he's thoughtfully, he's fearfully considered your life. To, to consider your beginning from your end, and so you're not an afterthought. This is why it's an offense to God if you compare yourself to somebody else. If you walk around diminishing who you are because you've compared yourself to somebody else, you are cutting at the creative genius of God, who he made you to be, who, who he knows you to be, and who he's made you to be is consistent with what he's called you to do. He has a plan, he has a purpose, good works for you to do. Before the worlds were even formed, he set those things in motion and he made you that you might become everything you're supposed to be in relationship to him and do those things he's called you to do. Don't sell yourself short by comparing yourself to other people and thinking that you're better than or less than and doing that because the surest way to be miserable and fail is try to be someone you're not. I've had to learn that the hard way over the years. I am as unimpressive as it is, I got to be me. As disappointing as it may be to others, people don't need a cheap imitation of somebody else. They need an authentic version of you. Be who you're supposed to be. The Bible says that God thinks about your future. For I know the thoughts I have to you, for you, says the Lord. You ever tried to tell God what you're thinking? God, what were you thinking? God's like, I'll tell you what I'm thinking. These are the thoughts I have to you, to give you a hope, to give you a future. That verse is in the context of disobedience in Israel's history, and they're being carried off in judgment. And while they're being carried off, God says, I have thoughts for a hope and a future for you. I'm not, I'm not done with you. I'm going to bring you back. Psalm 139 says, how precious are the thoughts um, that you have towards me, God. How great or vast is the number of them. God has thoughts about your future. Um, listen to this quote by anybody knows who C.S. Lewis is anybody know that he's brilliant theologian and intellect from uh, a couple decades ago 
he wrote this statement in a book. He, he said, nearly all the vices that we have are rooted in the future. Gratitude looks to the past and love to the present. Fear, greed, and lust and ambition look to the future. And what the scripture is saying is, God's thinking about your future. God's got good thoughts about your future. He made you consistent with your future. And what he wants you to do is love and relate to him today. So the decisions you're making are about today that determine something about your future, but they're not based on presumption or trying to grasp at the future. And so I want you to think about your life for a moment. Because it's not the big decisions that you make that so often determine the direction of your life. It's the accumulation of a bunch of little decisions. Spiritual growth doesn't happen just because you went to camp. How many of you know when you come home from camp, as awesome as it was and purposeful as that time was, it only that, that experience doesn't carry you through freshman year, does it? It's about... The daily thing. How many of you ever worked out at a gym and then the next day went to school after your first workout ever and had people look at you and go, wait a minute. (laughs) You're working out, aren't you? Nobody will know. But what if you did that consistently over the course of six months? What if you read your Bible every day? Just thought, let God's word start to sink in your heart. Maybe the first time you do it, people aren't going to go, you just ooze with revelation. (laughs) But what if your mind starts to be renewed and changed? And it's about little, little decisions that end up becoming big things. And so I want to show you something here. I want to show you the next chart here. I want you to think in terms of this. The scripture gives us some parameters in terms of the decisions you get to make. Um, The Bible doesn't use the word stupid, but I'm putting it in there because it starts with an S and so does sinful. So so think about this for a moment. Playing video games eight hours a day, is that sinful per se? But is it wise? Maybe stupid? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Just trying to think of an example here. Uh, Stupid is eating Pop-Tarts all day long. Um, there's decisions that you can make. They're not necessarily sinful, but they're maybe not necessarily really life-giving to you. Um, uh, So when you think about your life and the decisions that you get to make, there's things that the Scripture says, hey, this will hurt you and this will hurt your relationship with me. God would say, I'm going to ask you to trust me, and I put this line here this border here. I'm going to ask you to say no to this. This is what God did to Adam and Eve when they were in the garden. He said, I've given you all these trees to eat from, but I'm, I'm asking you not to eat of this tree. And the enemy comes along and starts making your focus orient around that one thing. And we miss at all the things that are permissible, all the things that God says that, that, that we should be able to um, enjoy and experience. And so when you're on the sinful path, the sinful path is these things are taking you away from God. They're bringing destruction to you. And, and so the Bible does rule out some of those choices. Should I steal? Should I cheat on my physics exam? Should I, the Bible would say, that's going to take you to a path of destruction, ultimately. 
That's going to that's gonna bring ruin um, to your heart and bring pain to your life. There's a, there's a stupid path. Sometimes we need wisdom and we need the counsel of others, our parents' input. And there's things that we thought we know, but we may not really have the whole story on. And so when there's sinfulness, we can repent. Does that mean when we sin, we're forever on the wrong path? No. Repentance is, you're going down that road of choices. Turn around and come back. You can. I invite you to come back and find grace and restoration. It, we all need wisdom. We all need counsel. And so when we're on those um, paths, we need to seek input and, and, and trust trusted voices in our life. But let me show you this last picture here. I want you to think of like this, if you could, your, your life. Um, when you look at that broad range in the middle, I want you to see how God can fluidly work in your life if you do this one thing. Every day, if you will do this one thing, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will come into order. You don't have to stress about every decision. You don't have to worry about it. God will speak to you. God will lead you. God will, at the right moment, give you what you need. And in that space there, the blessable places, is this... I'm putting you first, God. I'm committing my ways to you. Seeking first the kingdom of God. Seeking first, God, what is righteous? What is eternal? What is good? If that's the driving motivation of my heart, I believe that God can even move the whole path. Let me tell you an example. I was hired to be a youth pastor in Salem, Oregon years ago when I was 22 years old. And on my way, I'm sorry, in Eugene, Oregon. And on my way there, I was moving from Wyoming. I stopped in Bend, Oregon and to visit a friend of mine. And we got in a group golfing with a foursome. And this pastor was from Salem, Oregon. And he said, you're going to go be a youth pastor in Eugene? And I said, yeah. And he said, we need a youth pastor in Salem. He goes, why, why don't you just stop and spend the weekend with us? Because I was supposed to start that Monday morning. So that Saturday, I went to Salem, spent the day with the pastor, went to the church the next morning. And I felt like God says, this is where you're supposed to be. I had to drive down to Eugene, Oregon that next night. When the service was ending, that a Sunday night service, I walked up to the pastor who hired me. And I said, I think I'm supposed to go to there instead of be here as a youth pastor. I mean, my word's on the line. Am I a man of integrity or not? I mean, I said I would. They, they put me through the process. I, I was moving this direction. And you know what the pastor said to me? He looked at me and he said, Randy, I believe that God wants you to know his will more than you want to know it. And I believe that even if you're on the wrong path, God will move the whole path if your heart is to do what he says. So go, go in his grace. That was so freeing for me because what I heard wasn't like there's only one way and if you got it wrong, you're stuck and you just have to grind it out. I'm not saying don't be a person of integrity and keep your word. But I'm just simply saying there's grace in the way that God can lead our lives. There's grace in the way that God can move. So maybe I could give you as we finish this example. How many of you are familiar of the story of Joseph in the Bible? Raise your hand if you are. Just like, how many just, it's no right or wrong. It's not good or bad if you're not. Just how many of you are unaware of the story of Joseph in the Bible? Half of you raised your hand, said yes. Nobody raised your hand, said no. How many just don't care about the story of Joseph? Like, let me tell you why I want to finish with this story. Joseph makes one dumb decision. 
he gets real cocky because his dad treated him with favoritism and gave him a special gift that the other brothers in the family didn't get, and he kind of bragged about it. So they did what brothers do. They beat him up. And, uh, well, they did a little more than that. They sold him into slavery, but, hey, that's a little extreme. Uh, From that point on, from that point on, Joseph makes nothing but good decisions. Every time he makes a good decision, it seems to put him in a worse position. He makes a decision not to sleep with his boss's wife, and it gets him into trouble. He makes a good decision to serve somebody when he's in prison, and it just gets him forgotten. Every time he makes a good decision, it seems to put him in a worse situation and cause him to end up with more suffering Yet, in a moment in time, God turns all of that around, and within a half hour, he's gone from being a forgotten son, spending 13 years of his life being mistreated, and suddenly his dream is fulfilled, and he's the number two most powerful person in the world. That fast. Making all those right choices of putting God first seemed to move him further away from the dream. And then he stood in that moment and said, What the devil meant for evil... God used for good. God used it for good. God, I put God first and God got me where I was supposed to go. The, this is a simple principle, I know it. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added to you. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. So let me pray for you because we're going to be done. God, I thank you that you have good thoughts towards everyone in this room. God, I'm thankful that you knew them before they even took shape in their mother's wombs. Lord, you saw the beginning from the end. You see their tomorrow. You see the decade down the road. You see their careers. You see their families. You see where they will live and what they'll do and won't do. You see all of that laid out. And God, I just pray that today, more than anything, there would be security in their hearts to know that they have a Father in heaven that loves them, that's thinking about them, that they don't have to presume that they can map out their future and have it all mapped out because we don't know, but you know. We don't have to be driven by worry and anxiety about the future because, God, our life is in your hands. God, I just pray that more than anything at the center, God, of our daily decisions and the big and the small things, the things that seem significant, the things that seem really trajectory-altering in terms of the direction our life will go, and just those little tiny minor things. God, I think, pray that there would be the grace to seek you first, to put you first, to walk, God, in a way that would seek to just love you and trust you above all things. And God, knowing that as we do that, you're going to be at work in those daily choices to put you first, to take us to where we're supposed to go, to get us to where we're going. God, that there would be confidence and expectation and anticipation about a future because we're living fully engaged in the present, even as we dream dreams, even as we make plans, and even as we have to fill out applications and do all the things that we have to do. God, our confidence rests in your love for us, that you want us to know your will more than we even want to know it. And God, you'll even move the whole path if you have to because of our hardest to please you and put you first. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.